0: Welcome and happy Friday. It's January 29th, 2016. This is Travelog, the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. I'm here with Laura Redman, who's our digital deputy editor, Catherine Lagrave, a podcast newbie, who's a digital editor for us, uh, Lilith Marcus, who's become a regular. She's a di- digital editor as well. My name's Brad Rickman. I'm the digital director, and we're gonna shout out this week also Brett Fuchs, who's our engineer, who's fantastically talented and Yay! actually Woo! makes this whole thing work. Um, and he doesn't get we haven't given him credit for uh, before, so he deserves it. Um, first thing we're gonna start with is uh, the cocktail of the week. Um, it's it's a pear uh, it's a pear martini, and it comes from Hey Adams in D.C. And um, we picked this one this week because we wanted to honor the upcoming Iowa caucuses. Mm. So we're
1: President's Day uh, and President's Day soon. By choosing a drink from Washington D.C. The fact that D.C. hasn't like melted away after the snowstorm wasn't everyone worried about that? Uh,
0: Well, yeah, Snowzilla, right? Right. Um, So have a have a taste. This has got um, pear vodka. It's got Saint Germain. It's got uh, pineapple juice, and some Chambord.
1: Cheers. Cheers. Cheers
2: think It's really good. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. fruity. And I really like that hotel. It's just one of those like classic sort of DC hotels. I really like it.
0: Okay, the topic this week is really just going to be travel news. I feel like we're getting in this X-Files pattern where we do monster of the week. And then we go back to big, you know, sort of ongoing themes. Last week, we had a big topic. So this week, we're just going to do sort of what's been coming up in the news lately. And, you know, we had the blizzard last weekend, but I feel like and that that everybody was talking about that a lot sort of going on and a lot of travel impact for that. But it kind of got wiped off the map pretty quickly by the Zika virus, which has gone a little bit crazy um, in the last two weeks. Catherine, you broke our first story on this, I think, on the 15th of January. Mm -hmm. It had been happening a little bit. News had been trickling in by then. Why don't we start with the basics here? What is the Zika virus? What is the sickness that people get?
3: Okay. So the Zika virus is just uh, an infection that people get when they're bitten by the 80s mosquito. Um, And a lot of people don't even know that they have it, like 80% of uh, people don't know that they have it. Um, and the symptoms when you do have it are kind of like a common cold. You get a rash, you get a fever, you get pink eye. Um, but the reason that this is all over the news is because you know people think that there's a potential link between this and microcephaly, which is um, the shrinking of infants' heads. So there have been a rise in number of cases in Brazil um, where women are having birth um, and the the babies have smaller heads and some neurological deficiencies.
1: It's been a crazy h- spike in mm-hmm. the number, right? Wasn't it like 150 recorded at all last year and then now 4,000 in the last yep. three months? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Is that Brazil alone or is that worldwide?
3: No, that's Brazil alone. Um, and there have been some infections in the states. I think now it's like up to 31 in the states, but all of those people have been infected elsewhere, right? So there's no transmission in the U.S.
1: So how do you how do you get it step one if you get bit by a mosquito who's carrying it yep obvious okay Mm -hmm. is there any other way to transmit it um there have been two
3: cases that have been reported Um, one was sexually transmitted and then one was through a blood transfusion but again they're not sure they just found traces of the zika virus in Uh, some bodily fluids.
0: It's very hard to test for, right?
3: I think the window is about a week and then it disappears um, because, again, the symptoms only present. And because this is the same mosquito that carries dengue fever, it also carries... uh, Yeah, I can't pronounce (laughs) it. The other one we can't pronounce. Uh, And yellow fever, um, you know, people often sort of misdiagnose it. And again, testing for this is uh is not widespread it's not easy you can send samples to the cdc but again because of the the short window um a lot of
1: cases are sort of missed so do you feel like the giveaway with this one is the pink eye like you get you get a rash you get joint pain you get fever which can be any of a number of insect-borne diseases um but then pink eye i feel like is a weird one
3: yeah, I think so. I think that would stand out. And also, like now, people are looking more closely at where you've been, right? So there's a pretty widespread notice out if you've been to any of these places and you're seeing these symptoms, you should report to your clinic um, that you've been.
0: But this is not a disease or a mosquito that's unique to Brazil. Is there a reason why the, the sort of recent outbreak or discovery is happening in Brazil?
3: You know, part of it's the weather. They're saying that El Nino, you know, has led to longer periods of heat. Um, They're also saying that more cases are being reported and this is being talked about more, which is leading to more people saying, oh, that sounds familiar. And then they're coming forward. Um, But there's not really so far as a scientific reason as to why there's been this sudden increase.
2: One thing that immediately stood out to me, of course, the mention of Brazil, the first thing I thought of was the Olympics this summer mm-hmm, and yeah. all the people who already made travel plans to head down there. I think you wrote that it has been spotted in every
3: country in the Americas.
2: Is that right? The virus?
3: So the mosquito is present in all but
1: two, Canada and Chile. Right? Got it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. can I actually read the list? It's kind of astounding. And if, if you do have plans, like I I had, you know. Every- I just came back from one of these places. Really? Which, yeah. Guadalupe. Mar- oh, that's right. So. In in addition to Guadalupe, we have Bolivia, Brazil, Cape Verde, Colombia, Ecuador, El Salvador, French Guiana, Guadalupe, Guatemala, Guiana, Haiti, Honduras, Martinique, Mexico, Panama, Paraguay, San Martin, Suriname, Samoa, Venezuela, and Puerto Rico. Why is Puerto Rico not alphabetical? That's a great question. (laughs) Take it up with the writer. No, but that's an astounding number of places, including one of the biggest, uh, a few that we recommended for the top places yeah. to go in 2016. So yeah. I've had a lot of friends say they are canceling trips. I have a few friends who are pregnant who are planning to go to the Caribbean for like a baby moon. Cancel those trips. And these are intrepid travelers. These are not people who are like, oh, I heard about something over in Africa, so I'm not going to go anywhere this year. No, they they will go anywhere. But they are doctors and pregnant women taking precautions. And that, to me, is new.
0: And are all of them women? Yes. Okay. I guess, you know, one of the things that I sort of put together only recently with this is that there actually isn't necessarily yet established a scientific causation between the Zika virus itself and microcephaly. Right. There's a correlation, mm-hmm. which scientifically is a very different thing. But nonetheless, there's enough of that that, you know, the, the WHO has now announced that they are convening a panel next Monday. They've sort of sounded an alarm. There's a travel advisory in effect, Catherine?
3: Yep, there are travel advisory of the countries that Laura just read.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. and is that that's from the U.S.? Is it is anywhere else? Is Europe... Issued any travel advisories?
3: Uh, No, not that I know of. But the thing, the the thing that you mentioned on Monday, the World Health Organization. Um, there's been a lot of call from other organizations because the response to this has not really been uniform, right? So the U.S., the CDC, they issued these travel alerts, um, and so the World Health Organization, hopefully on Monday, is going to provide some uniform releases and say, per country, this is what we should be doing. Um, This is, you know sort of worldwide travel alerts that we're going to release. These are the research policies that we're going to push forth. And that's what, um, like I said, Monday should bring about.
2: I mean, travel advisories obviously come with a certain amount of privilege, you know, that you're coming from a country that's considered relatively safe and going, one, going to one that may not be safe. What I'm interested in is what's going to happen to the people who live in these countries. And mm-hmm. are there any methods being taken to get rid of these mosquitoes to make sure that the people who live in these countries are
1: safe so in brazil they've been talking about what they're going to do in run up to the olympics and how they're going to you know spray for sites that might have mosquitoes they're going to take care of the different venues of the games but i mean how much can you do and also i mean when the games happen in brazil it'll be their winter it'll be cooler in august and september so hopefully this doesn't run rampant then but right now it's kind of bad and I think if you are traveling between now and then there's also and say you are a woman and you are planning to get pregnant, they caution you not to travel because it can stay in your system. Is that right, Catherine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's
0: What's correct. the period in which it how long does it does it linger?
1: Um so normally
3: um it's in your body three to twelve days.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, at some level I'm wondering whether the reaction is proportional to The risk, like I can certainly understand if you were planning to get pregnant soon, but, you know, and I also understand that the science is not necessarily complete with this yet. But for someone who's canceling a trip now, if you weren't planning to get pregnant within the next year or two years or three years, what is the real risk that you're taking on if you were to go to Brazil for the Olympics this year or something like that?
3: I mean, I wouldn't say there's an immediate risk to you. Again, because this is just sort of being looked into intensely. Again, they're not really sure of the long-term risks. Um, another thing that people might be considering is that you know, even if I go, and I'm not planning on getting pregnant, but I do get infected, um, maybe unbeknownst to me, and I come back to the States, and a mosquito bites me that maybe doesn't have the virus, then it carries it to another person. So that's sort of spreading the infection around.
0: Yeah, right. OK. You don't want to be patient zero somewhere. Right, yeah. I guess that it seems like they're concerned that, you know, I saw this morning or maybe it was yesterday that the estimates are four million people throughout the Americas could be infected by the the middle of this year, I think. And, you know, it seems like it's destined to come to the United States. So back to Lalit's point, it's like, is there anything that's being contemplated as of yet or maybe we have to wait for the WHO? to do for the countries where the mosquito exists you know um is there anything that can be done other than i suppose spraying in order to protect people there's no vaccine right there, there's no
1: vaccine are okay. they going to start testing at the end of this year it yeah, doesn't sound like it was soon no right? i mean that's brand s- new
3: they did say uh this year you know the um director of the Nas- national institute of allergy and infectious infectious diseases <laughs> diseases, sorry about that. Um, He said that they're hoping to start clinical trials on a vaccine this year because they don't have one. And like I said, it's sort of been like, oh, that's similar to dengue, that's similar to yellow fever. It's not really been looked into, there's never been a uh, huge number of cases like there have been.
0: Not, it's not been a m- high medical priority. Right. Because exactly. the symptoms, other than the microcephaly, the symptoms just aren't that significant. Right. Like I don't know. Have
1: you, we, you know someone who got dengue, and if it's being compared to <laughs> dengue, it's no joke. I mean, you could... Peter Lindbergh, one of our senior editors, just wrote about how he was in the hospital for a week. He had 105-degree fever. He lost 11 pounds and some of his hair. I mean, these even if you're not trying to get pregnant, and even if you don't, you know, you're like, oh, I can fight off a mosquito bite, it's a bad scene.
0: I guess what I'm wondering is why Zika hasn't really risen to that level. Like, it's not a new virus, right? It was discovered, what, in 19- 1946?
3: 1946 or
0: 7, yep. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there have been a handful of cases, but it doesn't seem, at least not in none of the research that I could find seem to indicate that it had that dengue-level effect on people so that it had reached that level of prioritization. So is
1: that because of numbers or is that because of the, the symptoms? Themselves? Yeah, I don't know. I so don't like, know. Because I mean, if 10 people get something, no one's going to write about it. But if, you know, 11,000 people died of Ebola in, you know, a few years ago, not that long ago, then that's a big deal. And if 4 million people contract the same disease, we care. Right. So I don't know. I'm, I am. I'm trying not to be doom and gloom about it, but there's a reason we're writing about it. You know, this is I think it's been measured, but we have written a story recently about, you know, taking travel warnings and travel advisories with a grain of salt as well. Like checking to see what the historical context is of each of these warnings, you know, knowing that the Zika virus is not brand new. It's not some like magic test tube born virus that we're just like blaming a mosquito for. It's old, but now it's there's a lot of it.
0: Yeah. And also, I think it, one of the questions that I have is, is, does this come into the category of, you know, when we were talking about the Scottish Castle and, the, and California with the flooding, is this another one of these things that we're going to uncover more and more of them? Because it's weather-related. El Nino is worse now because of climate change. Nobody's probably going to give us an answer to that because nobody knows the answer to that. But it does feel like... This may be one of those things that's actually been there for a period of time, may have been more extensive, or it may be just kind of spreading now because all of a sudden weather patterns are changing. right. And these mosquitoes now have more breeding ground that they can that they mm-hmm. can flourish in throughout,
3: yeah, I think that's accurate. I mean, the the mosquitoes obviously flourish in warmer weather. and uh, typically they're along the Gulf Coast and in Hawaii, but they have been found, you know, in. In Washington State, for example, in right. hot weather. So now that we're moving into the spring, um, and and also summer, we'll probably see more. Obviously, we'll see more.
2: Go to Canada this spring. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. lovely.
0: <laughs> Do you guys? I mean, what's the sense that you guys have? Is this something that we've been we've been talking about a lot of different threats to travel mm-hmm. this the, in the past six months? We had the Paris, the Beirut, Belgium, uh, we had, huh? Belgium, Belgium. Istanbul. Istanbul, this is of a, a quite a different you know sort of type and order. But I mean, is this another one of those things where statistically, in spite of the fact, I mean four million people throughout the Americas is a lot of people, but by the same token, you know, what is your level of individual risk as you're traveling to one of these countries? You know, does that rise to the level that you really the the, the panic that sort of the WHO seemed to express yesterday, you know, sort of an all hands on deck, issue travel warnings, get everybody kind of um, worried about this, thinking about this? Or is it another one of those things where you need to take this into account, you need to assess your personal situation, you need to sort of ask yourself where you fit on the risk continuum. But if you're planning to go to one of these places and you don't fall into that category, you know, it's, it's a manageable risk.
1: I think it, it does come down to your risk profile. And what do you consider an, an- necessary or an unnecessary risk. And I would go to, you know, myself and a group of friends who are having children in the next you know decade, mm-hmm. I would sooner go to Paris than to a country that is at risk for Zika. Like I feel like the Paris threat is better managed than this mosquito-borne illness threat.
2: And, and what I don't want is to go somewhere and spend the entire time looking over my shoulder. And that's not how you enjoy a vacation. That's not how you have fun. And if you think that it's going to be such a concern for you that if you go to a tropical location and don't want to go outside because you're too paranoid about all of the mosquitoes, you're not going to have fun. You're not going to enjoy it, and it's not going to be a proper vacation for you. Right.
3: I agree with that. And I I would think that seems like more of a risk that you can control, right? So I know that there are mosquitoes there and there are high incidents of this virus being reported. So I'm just not going to go there. Whereas the Paris thing, as we talked about, That's just so sporadic. That can happen
1: anywhere. And unpredictable. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah, it could literally happen anywhere. And I
3: think that,
2: I mean, one of the things that I love about travel is how unpredictable it is and how much you might might be surprised and find something unexpected about a place that you go. And that has good and bad effects as well. I mean, the last time I went to Paris, I found all these little cafes that I loved, and I ended up making new friends and having this really incredible experience. It could have gone completely in the other direction. And I think that when you are a traveler, that is something that you sign up for. It's a philosophy that you sign on with.
0: So by way of managing risk, you know, we published a piece this week that was about, and at the end of the day, this is a mosquito problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so mosquitoes are the enemy. And at some level, the piece that we published was basically about insect repellents because <laughs> you know, and I and I and I and I guess at you know, at some level, I'm wondering is that one of the ways that you can just sort of look at this? Is okay, mosquitoes are kind of a problem for a number of reasons all over the world. So, if you are going to one of these places and you're not in a high risk category, but you still want to protect yourself, you know. There are ways of doing that, and it's the same way that you would do when you're trying to protect yourself from dengue, for example, which is another disease that you don't want to get when you go to certain parts of the world, or malaria, which you certainly don't want to get when you're going to some parts of the world. And no, there's no pill you can take, but there are creams, there are repellents. We did, we do have this piece on the site that basically lists a bunch of those. And I wonder if that is maybe something that doesn't enter the conversation quite enough you know we 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 hear a lot and it's the same thing that we've been talking about with all of the other warnings that get issued and the focus on istanbul and the the piece that we did about that which is back up to the actual risk look at what you what the matrix actually is and there are things that you can do again if you don't fit on this high profile like yes not a time to travel to Syria. But if you're going to Istanbul or if you're going to Paris, there's a manage, There's a way to sort of just deal with it. Um, and the same thing with dengue or Zika or any of these other viruses.
2: You know, one thing that I try to keep in mind is with insect repellent, I think of it the way that I think of sunscreen. It, it To me, it's an absolute essential. And I think part of that kind of came about by accident. I'm very pale. I burn easily. To me, it's not a question of whether I bring sunscreen on my beach vacation. It's what kind and how many. So I've been on trips with other people who, because they can tan or it's not as urgent for them, didn't bring it, ended up getting a really bad sunburn, ended up injuring themselves. Something more serious happened. And I was okay, even though I was at higher risk, because I just went ahead and took care of it. Yeah. And people will ask, oh, what's your secret? How did you not get sunburned? And there is no secret. I wear SPF 85 to go outdoors and get my mail.
0: <laughs> yeah. So everybody, internet, check out the piece on the site is called The Best Insect Repellent to Keep Zika and Dengue at Bay. That will save your, your travels to South America this year. I feel like maybe, or we maybe to promise. Florida.
2: We cannot ensure that 100% of people around the world will not get it, but I feel better about it.
1: Yeah. Wear long sleeves and long pants if you are going to be in an area known for it. You know, you do you do what you have to do to keep the bugs away. I'll
3: be honest. I think the the urgency of the World Health Organization, I think that was largely in response to the confusion that's going around about this. You know, every day there's a new story and people are confused. Is it happening? Is it spreading so quickly? Am I going to get am I going to get it? Right. And because, like I said earlier, they've come sort of under fire from other health professionals for. You know, not instituting sort of research or or not pushing for that and and not calling for universal travel alerts. Um, But airlines are treating this seriously. And, you know, they're saying um, pregnant women or just regular travelers, if you want to change your flight, um, you're at liberty to do so. Uh, British Airways, American United, uh, and some South American airlines
1: are all offering uh, passengers the the option to change tickets.
0: Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh.
1: And that's more so than when different cities were hit by terrorists. So I just think that's interesting mm-hmm. putting that out there.
0: Well, because, again, I, I do think there is a category here um, for women who are planning to get pregnant or who worry that they might be pregnant or are pregnant. You know, They have a very real reason to be worried about this. And if the cream doesn't work, if the repellent doesn't work, you, know, you are at, at a significant risk. So whereas you know again with the with the terrorist game you're sort of playing probabilities and the probabilities are really really low right so um
2: what i worry about is sometimes i feel that it can be very anecdotal sort of to catherine's point about why we need sort of reasonable answers from places like the world health organization or the cdc is a bigger problem can be panic it can mm-hmm. be oh but my cousin went there and i think she came back with it so now i don't know what to do and it's it's taking these personal accounts that may or may not be verified and blowing it up into something huge and that's what i am the most concerned about so i'm glad that we're getting actual scientific comment on the record that they addressed it really quickly and that they're giving people actual guidelines
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and I totally agree with that, but I'm not sure that out of that Monday, like out of that Monday, based on the tone that they had yesterday when they sort of made that statement, I I'm not sure that Monday's going to come back and say Everybody, take a chill pill. This is actually a manageable situation. And if you're not a pregnant woman or a woman about to be pregnant or trying to get pregnant or whatever, everything's good, totally going to be okay. I feel like there's this sort of fever pitch that it's hit that I'm not sure how they can walk back from that. I feel like they're going to have to come up with a global response. And I think that's a good thing because there needs to be some sort of response, mostly in the research front. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, that, that hopefully will get some funding. That will get some attention. That will actually you know benefit people. I mean, I th- is there any question that this is going to be something that is, exists in New York? It's, it's going to happen in the United States, right? And it's probably going to happen this year. So you know, it's something that everybody can benefit from. But I, I just worry about the tone for the same reason that you're describing.
2: And I think it can also go in the other direction, which is, oh, but my friend was just in Paris. She said everything was completely fine. So I think you know, taking sort of anecdotal word as truth can always be a little bit dangerous, whether it's in one direction or the other.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else we need to tell people about Zika, do you think?
1: Just bug zappers are awesome.
0: <laughs> portable bug zapper, market waiting to be tapped.
1: No, no. Keep checking CDC, WHO. They have the latest alerts. Mm-hmm.
0: Keep checking Conde Nast Traveler. That's right. Because exactly. we have been staying on top of the story. And we're Catherine is on, on Zika beat. <laughs> Catherine is on the Zika beat. Whether she likes it or not. <laughs> quite a bit of writing in the last two weeks. Sorry, Catherine. That's all right. No problem. No, but we will follow up. So, I mean, I think it's a good point. Like, there will be this. This is going to change next week when the WHO has their meeting. There mm-hmm. will be more developments. There have been sporadic reports of new um, infections mm-hmm. in very countries, including the U.S. So, you know, we'll stay on top of it. Hopefully we'll do that in a reasonable and rational way um, and try to, again, be the counterweight to the panic, but certainly trying to keep people informed. That is the most useful thing. In terms of other news this week, um, one, not to keep putting you on the spot, Catherine, but in almost in a contrary fashion, the U.S. was warning um, people whose passports are going to expire Mm -hmm. that they should not wait in order to renew them. They should get right on top of that. What was behind that?
3: So in 2006 and 2007, the Western Hemisphere Travel Initiative went into effect. So that was the first time that passports were required for Americans returning from Mexico, Canada, the Caribbean, Bermuda. So a lot of people applied then for passports that didn't have to before. And those 10-year passports are coming up on renewal. Right. So the State Department is anticipating that a lot of people will apply. Um, Another thing that's caused some confusion is the REAL ID Act, which we also covered on the site. Um, And and people are confused about whether or not their state ID will still work at the airport. And the State Department said that that's also led to a rise in number of passports. And they're anticipating sort of a flood in applications. And they're saying you know do this sooner rather than later. Right now the wait time uh, is six weeks normally um it's two or three um so they're saying that it's up four weeks from last year and And is that
0: for the expedited service or for normal service for normal service right sorry
3: and there are a couple of other things to keep in mind as
2: well i think a lot of people get tripped up on most countries require you to have at least six months left on your passport not six months to the day it needs do they really i didn't know that yeah and also a lot of countries require you to have at least two blank pages left in your passport Uh, that's one of the reasons that we used to have extra pages that could get added in yeah so Extra pages have been taken away by the US government as of 2016. You just have to start over and get a new passport. So there are also a lot of people who might have been able to get an expanded passport and now have to start over.
0: Does the process look any different for getting a new passport because yours gets full versus uh, renewing? No. It's the same It's process. considered a renewal, okay. basically.
2: The only difference is that if you're getting a new passport, you can now request a 52 pager uh, which is what it would come to if you got extra pages. You just have to ask up front so that okay. all of the
1: pages match and are consistent. But okay. that doesn't change the expiration, right? Is it, it's generally a decade yes. to have your passport mm-hmm. or a U.S. passport Right. Is.
0: So you go through the process. You run out of pages. You go through the renewal process to get a new passport, but your expiration date does not change. Right. Okay. That's a bummer.
1: It is. But I think it's encouraging how many more Americans are getting passports. I mean, it was something like, A third of Americans currently hold passports as of 2015, which is up, which is exciting on its own. But still, I mean, come on, two thirds of Americans don't. So if this is prompting more people to just think of that as an option, I say, great. Make the State Department tell everyone to do it. I Mm -hmm.
2: I would say our ombudsman, Eric Jordan, gets so many letters about people asking, What they can do to get a refund because they were going to a country, thought everything was in order with their passport and it didn't have two extra pages or it was five months and 30 days and the country just didn't let them in. So it comes up a lot more often than you would think. And it's really a good thing to be on the alert for. Um, And to Catherine's point, another thing that's holding up a lot of passports is terrible weather in DC. Mm -hmm. There have been a lot of people who can't get their stuff sent to DC, the delivery is taking longer than planned, or the delivery out is taking longer than planned. So especially this time of year, just give yourself more time than you think you need.
0: Are they expecting the times to extend? So they're saying they're going to go from two to three weeks to six weeks. When is that going to start to take effect? When are they expecting the glut to happen? Is there a particular season?
3: No, I mean, it's as of now. You know, I checked the State Department yesterday, and that's that's what they were reporting. They, and this is the most common time of year for
2: people to get new passports, mm-hmm, just because mm-hmm. they're starting to think about what travel they want to do in the year to come, or they've got other stuff that expired on December thirty first. So this is traditionally a very busy season anyway.
3: Yeah, so they're saying get it now. Um, and so you can imagine if it's at six weeks now, it's probably not going to get better. And I just got mine, got my new passport. Is that weird? I hate getting new passports.
2: I it was hate awful. saying goodbye
1: to my old passport. Yeah, yeah I felt it, like yeah. I was. It, it felt
2: very isolating sending it away.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Did I, you
2: get it back though? I did get it back. Good. It has holes punched no, in it, y- but I got laughed. it back. This is
3: serious. <laughs> no, I know I've got holes punched. But
2: there was, but there was something about it when during the period that it was getting renewed and I didn't have it. I kept thinking like, but what if there's a fair deal to somewhere and I want to <laughs> go fly off? Like it made me feel very trapped. Mm-hmm. in a way that I wasn't expecting.
1: Oh, totally. I used to just carry my passport around for a while. You're going to find out some fun, neurotic things about <laughs> me. But just like, what if I have to leave? What if I have to leave the country? I want to be ready, always. I don't think many travelers are like that, no. Oh,
2: I, I, I'm like that, but I think it's a Jewish thing. When I was growing <laughs> up, um, my grandmother used to say that Jewish people are like turtles, because they always carry their homes on their backs with them. Oh. And it was sort of this like immigrant saying about, like we are always leaving a country or getting kicked out of one, so you have to have all your stuff with you just in
1: case. I mean, I have a bag packed, ready to go. Do you guys, or is that again a neurotic New Yorker thing? No, I got one. No bag. You, you don't have yeah. a backpack. What? Like just like a basic backpack? Or, no. Doesn't everyone have the that doomsday backpack for no. the end of the world? Ready no, to go have Yeah. Oh, right. Out out, out of matter. my apartment.
0: Oh, I just <laughs> no. I just assume that like if something happens and it's anywhere near new york i'm screwed
3: <laughs> yeah the bag's gone no no i mean no. get the my, bag my you get the bag you
0: get to the street like were you here um, this is completely off topic but were you here <laughs> why not it's a podcast um were you here in new york when the power outage happened no in um 2003 2003 yeah. i mean that was that was very educational for me because it demonstrated that you going nowhere fast. If like, <laughs> if like panic hits New York City, like prepare to basically it, – it was like – stand. I, I worked on 46th and Madison at the time, and I went out and I went to Bryant Park, and it was literally like standing on the F train at rush hour. Like phones didn't work, and you're standing like shoulder to shoulder with people. Like it was difficult to walk a block, you know? Um
1: because people were all trying to because everybody go nowhere fast like. yeah
0: everybody hit the street and was confused and was trying to go home or to whatever version of safety right. you know because people didn't really kind of know what was happening at the time and that's what I envision when I when I think of the doomsday scenario which you know as a New Yorker as as New Yorkers I'm sure we've all got that picture in our mm-hmm. heads some way we've been educated to have that picture in our heads and. I just imagine that being gridlock.
2: Well, I imagine after Sandy, you know, I lived near a gas station that had a line two miles long for people to get into it. Oh yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. And that was where, that was where all of New York was like, you couldn't, you, even if you could get a cab, and there wasn't really too. I guess maybe Uber sort of existed in some sort of infancy, but I don't remember. I don't it being think it did. Option, no. Though.
1: See, this is why you stay in shape. You keep good running shoes oh and a God. backpack, and you can walk to Westchester. Fine. You just do it. You I know, read the an amazing that article about New York City doomsday preppers because these are all
2: of the questions that they have. Like, you live on an island. What do you do? And some of them have like boats. Or stuff to make boats because that's the fastest <laughs> way off. Some of them moved to the Bronx specifically for that. It's amazing. Oh yeah, I feel I like mean, the we health... could talk. This is a whole other podcast, by yeah, the way. We yeah, could talk
1: about Doomsday this for a podcast. long time. So
0: we've got podcasts to do. We've got how to escape from New York during. <laughs> I think there's a movie about that. D- disaster scenario, and how, t- and then the turbulence. We have to have the turbulence oh, definitely. Uh, podcast.
1: Let's not, let's not Women go there right pray. now. We're not going there right now. No, I'm already feeling nervous enough. I just want to
0: say, waterborne escape from New York means you're going up one of the rivers, and I'm afraid that the health risk you would be <laughs> taking on by getting anywhere near either of those rivers, particularly at certain times of year, is probably worse <laughs> than whatever is awaiting you at, at the disaster scene. If you're I saying just, I
2: shouldn't swim the Gowanus Canal. I'm.
1: Can I I've, float to Hoboken? I just need to get to Jersey, and then we're fine. You get to the mainland.
0: Oh, my. You cannot <laughs> float to Hoboken, no, you know you're in the tunnel, you're walking through the tunnel. No, yeah, very bad.
1: Speaking of tunnels, not really. there's my favorite bit of news this week was about um, TSA checkpoints. Barbara Peterson, our aviation correspondent, just wrote that there are some checkpoints that are way worse than others, and it's not surprising which ones are What does
0: that mean? What is worse? So,
1: okay, 2016 comes around. We've had a few bad attacks um, at the end of 2015. So the lines of security, it, domestically, are longer.
0: So it's a lines thing. It's not like a they don't do their job thing.
1: Correct. Okay. No, I'm not trying to be a fear It is strictly convenience and how long you're waiting in line. So it looks like half of travelers have not Bought into TSA pre check or global entry, although about, you know, forty four percent have good
2: stop really? getting it. I don't want anyone else getting it.
1: The line's getting long, stop.
0: That's kind of an impressive number though. Forty four percent of all domestic of all travelers passing through.
1: Barbara says that expedited screening lanes process forty four percent of flyers in twenty fifteen.
2: Well, I will say though. Because I'm often in TSA pre-check lines where there are actually only a few of us who are TSA pre-check, and the line is so crazy that they move people over. So if they're going through that line, it may not necessarily mean that they have TSA pre-check. But they are cracking down on that. They crack down on that, that, right?
0: Yeah. Because that used to happen. That happened to me about three times. And then we we just – at one of the other podcasts, we were talking about the fact that they have shut that down. They won't let you do that anymore.
1: As a response, in a way. And now – Anecdotally, it sounds like the waits can be upwards of 30 or 40 minutes at some of the major city airports, um, though there was a survey done by J.D. Power and Associates, and they do traveler consumer surveys. And the These are the guys who survey everything. everything. Like they survey yeah.
0: consumer satisfaction with everything. Right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. So the worst wait time is at JFK. Surprise, no surprise. <laughs> right? No surprise here. Yeah. It's uh, six average 16.8 minutes, which sounds very low to me, to be in a security line there.
0: Yeah. Next yeah. is
1: Newark at 16.5, and LAX at 16 minutes. So you just figure the big airports. Surprisingly, LaGuardia is not the worst. So LaGuardia what? does better than <laughs> than JFK. But which LaGuardia's terminal? is hard. Yeah. Which terminal, right? Oh, it wasn't classified they by terminal. They didn't break they it down. They just did, generally. Um, the shortest wait time is if you go to Palm Beach, and it's only a 10 minute wait. There okay,
2: But it's also a 16-minute wait. Invariably, you're, like, behind that dude who keeps stomping his foot and grumbling every five minutes because he thinks that he should get to go to the front of the line. Like, that's what makes it terrible. <laughs> it's not the waiting, necessarily.
0: Have they got—has there been any progress on— because one of the things that takes a lot of time here is the taking off of the shoes, the taking off of the belt, the, like the, the whole routine that people have to go through, which you hear again and again from safety experts are not necessarily— actual safety precautions, right? They they are sort of, they allow the TSA to maintain a defensibility stance, I guess. But, you know, if you talk to, um, I remember this from years ago, um, post 9-11, if you talk to, for example, Israeli security agents, right? Like, they don't do all that stuff. They have a whole different methodology for discerning threats. And apparently, it's far more accurate. Whereas here, we just sort of like, Take off all your clothes, go naked (laughs) through, and we'll scan you through the body scanner, and that's how we're gonna go about it. And sure, it works, but it also creates all these delays. Is Mm -hmm. there any, any sign that studies like this are gonna cause the TSA to rethink its approach to security?
2: I would like people to rethink their approach to security like, it's not a secret that you're going to have to take your shoes off. And even if you didn't know that ahead of time, there are lots of signs that you see while you are waiting in the line. But, yes, you should absolutely wait until the last possible second to undo your extremely complicated boots that
1: lace all the way up to your knee. Like, that's that's the best solution.
0: Those are great boots to wear on the plane. I love They're those people. Very comfortable.
1: Chelsea boots. That's what Jaina Maleri, our style editor, recommends. She did. We 20 also, different ones, right? 20 different Chelsea boots. We know that celebrities wear them. Chris Hemsworth was spotted wearing Chelsea boots going through the airport.
0: Wait. We also wrote that's about not that. A, is that a dude thing?
1: Laura is actually our official Chris Hemsworth correspondent. I am indeed.
0: Every website needs a Chris Hemsworth <laughs> correspondent, at least at Condé Nast.
1: Someone has to cover the demigods. They have to know what they're up to.
0: I do, I do, I do think we can justify coverage of Thor. Right. God of weather <laughs> right. affects travel.
1: Well the, going back to the wait times um Specifically, uh, the TSA has launched an app. It's a crowdsourced app that lets you put in how long you are waiting. So they are trying to get accurate times. But more often than not, as Barbara reported, people are just like, get me through this line. I don't care. Maybe they'll follow up a week later on how long they had to wait. So it's not as accurate as they hope it will be. But it exists. So I'm
2: also really interested in finding out about some of those numbers internationally. Mm -hmm. I know that at Heathrow, especially, It has always been a nightmare, um, particularly when you're going through customs. It's not unusual to wait two hours if several planes land at the same time. So I would love to sort of compare. It might give some perspective, I think, on the US numbers. No, it's a good idea. Aruba is the same way. It's
1: a two hour wait, no matter what, going out.
2: Yeah, I feel like every week the Telegraph runs a story about how long
3: people are waiting in line at Heathrow and sometimes at Gatwick, so. Sounds like a new study. I feel like Germany would be high on efficiency. Every time I go there, it's really efficient. But then, like I said, I always get stopped for really random things. like Not being German? Not being German, (laughs) no. My last trip when I got stopped, you know, and they came over with machine guns because of my computer. What? You didn't hear about that? No. They came over and they tested my computer. They did the swab thing. And then they said, oh, you have to wait because you have bomb residue on your computer. What? And I said, oh. Uh, Okay, because I knew that I didn't.
0: What what stuff do you guys have on the goodie table over there in the (laughs) editorial department? It's actually peanut brittle
3: dust. (laughs) So then uh, the police came because they said, you know, we're just security agents. We can't deal with this. We have to call the German police. And then they came, and the guy kind of reassured me. uh, You know, he said, have you touched... Oh, everybody has bomb dust. Don't worry about it. He said, have you touched uh, hand cream lately or like um, ibuprofen? I said, yeah. Yeah. And he said, okay, you know, the residue sometimes is similar, which I think, I don't know, It's it tests for, it's not glycerin, I don't know what it is, but it tests for it, and there are traces of that, you know, on, on a lot of things, so it's not as effective as it should be. Then they came, and I had to take everything out of my bag, wow. like literally everything, turn on my computer, and... They said, oh, yeah, okay, you're fine. Well, did for a moment, like a split second where you're like, do
1: I have a bomb?
3: No. <laughs> after- did you start thinking <laughs> wait, of wait, broke a broke down palace? <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, that yeah. No, but after like I walked away. Up in some weird
2: foreign prison? That's literally my nightmare.
3: Well, the whole time I was like, this will be fine because I don't have anything. And then I walked away and was like. I should have maybe been more concerned about that because <laughs> they could have kept me. But I was just like, this will be fine. I don't have a bomb. Take out everything you need. Go for I guess it. I've been through Israeli security enough times that it
2: takes a lot to phase me. Um, the first time that I went to Israel, somebody told me, look, all you have to do is just say that you're Jewish. It's fine. That is a lie. They will make you name holidays. They will ask you what synagogue you go to. Like literally everybody thought of that. And now everyone just lies about being Jewish because they think the line is going to go faster and it doesn't work at
1: all. (laughs) Wow.
0: Lily, random headline that caught my attention this week. Why is it cheaper to fly than to take the train in the UK?
2: Oh, so, um, as a former U.K. resident, I have a lot of thoughts about the train system there. Uh, The train is great. It's really efficient. For a small country, it's a fantastic way to get around. But unfortunately, train uh, fares have been rising at three times the rate of the average salary in the U.K. It can easily cost $150 U.S. to take the train between London and Edinburgh, which is about a four-hour direct ride. Hmm. So, there is a really enterprising blogger who lives in Essex who was coming back from, I think, South Yorkshire, looked at his train options, found that they were kind of expensive, on a whim decided to start looking at Ryanair's website, which is a budget European carrier, Mm -hmm. realized it would be cheaper for him to fly from England to Berlin the same day, come back. And it was still cheaper to do that and to spend a day in Berlin walking around taking a tour than it would have been to buy a one-way train ticket.
0: <laughs> That's impressive.
2: Yeah. And he documented the whole experience, took a video of his day in Berlin. It's, it's pretty telling.
0: That's great. What other news? Is there any other news that you guys have encountered this week that, that we want to call people's attention to?
1: So, something that comes up often is what airline has the world's longest flight? Everyone loves this. Um, Qatar Airways just tried or just said it will try to enter the ring with a, let me get this straight, a Doha to Auckland run that is about 9,000 miles and 18.5 hours. The current holder of the world's longest title is Qantas. They have a Dallas to Sydney run that is 8,578 miles. I wish I memorized that, I didn't. And it's about 17 hours, 16 hours and 55 minutes. Now Singapore Air used to fly a Newark to Singapore direct which I have taken several times and I used to love because I mean it is glorious service plug for Singapore Air best flight I've ever been on. They discontinued that but they're talking about bringing it back in mm-hmm. 20 I think it was either 2017 or 2018. 2018. Yep. Yeah. And that would be How the long was that flight? Oh god, it felt like a day and a half. I think it was 8 Oh 19 hours? We have the internet. 19
0: we hours. We can answer these questions. It was 19 I hours. have
2: taken the longest one I ever took was Newark to Hong Kong direct on Cafe, which I think is 15 or 16. Yeah, that's
1: also incredibly long.
2: But it's a great flight. you know. And frankly, as New Yorkers, we are pretty lucky that there are a lot of places we can get to on a direct flight. I mean, I remember growing up in a small town, and you always had to transfer somewhere, and it just takes an entire day to get to a place that's not that far. So honestly, I think I'd rather just get on and then deal with it and get off then wander around some airport somewhere and have to kill 3 hours.
1: Agreed. I once had a 15 hour layover in the Jakarta airport. Ooh. I tried to take a nap. I woke up and there were cats sniffing my bags <laughs> and like old ladies staring at me just standing over me and staring at me. I will never do you that You say again.
0: that like it's a bad thing. They were looking out for you. <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> they were they were their cats. Is but is this something that airlines are you you're being facetious, right? Airlines yes. not airlines don't really try to look for these opportunities, or do they?
2: Well, I think they do. Yeah. I yeah, do think they pass- do. it does
0: seem like passengers sort of have this badge of honor. Like I took the, mm-hmm. I took this, but long, it's also
2: sort of a fun way to compete with each other. You to, know, to, it's to do a, the longest flight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, these different airlines are trying to outdo each other, and that's a really quick, fun way to get attention for one of their new routes.
0: What are the aeronautical challenges to this? Like, what does an airline have Gas, to think about? Man. Yeah. And it's sure also, you have enough
1: fuel. It's a weight issue as well. Mm-hmm. And you're crossing lo- very large bodies of water. Are they going to have to... they big, big planes. Sorry.
0: No, are they going to have to ban uh, checked baggage in order to do this? <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, <laughs> that might you... have been a Malaysia airline. Malaysia Airlines Air.
0: only, yeah. only yeah. Oh,
3: sorry, Malaysia. But we had that story about the overhead bin and how people get stressed. Oh, I love that story. Yeah, no, see, that I wanted to, yeah,
0: okay, talk about that a little bit.
3: Okay, so we had a writer talk about the psychology of the overhead bin, right? We all go on airlines. We all get super stressed when we see people putting in bags. Um, And he talked to a psychologist that said, yeah, you know, this is rooted in sort of claiming your territory we're we're in unfamiliar situations um and we sort of feel threatened and that's our brain's natural response is to sort of get aggressive and get angry
0: this is limbic you're getting that's right absolutely limbic yeah so deep in the ape brain that's right deep in the the reptile (laughs) brain. but i have
2: totally seen fights break out over overhead bins oh yeah that is not an exaggeration
3: yeah
0: okay what so what is the solution to this don't get into that. We don't, Not, not, I, I not have our one. place to say. Don't
2: be inconsiderate. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been on a plane and they have specifically said, hey, don't put your coats in the yep. overhead bin. Make sure that there's enough room for everybody. But there are people who flout that rule and think that they're above it. And then it takes way more time to get everyone on the plane because then you remove all of the coats, have to find their owners, start over again.
3: I mean, the science of it is there's not enough space for everybody that's got a bag, right? But what you're saying is true. Be considerate. And I wish more airlines enforced this. Like, I get so mad when I see people rolling on a bag that I know does not fit. In, in the little dimension thing, and it's gonna take up more space. Or
1: that's my know, brain. they don't put their wheels out. I yep. mean, that's mm-hmm. so aggravating. You're like, are you a first timer? <laughs> Is this Is your first time on a plane?
2: I also think it has to do with a significant uptick in the number of airplanes that charge mm-hmm. to check bags. Absolutely. There was such a clear discrepancy when I was flying growing up versus what it's like now, where because people don't wanna pay the additional fees, they're just gonna try to cram everything in that they can and take all their stuff with them. Yeah, do but- the
0: airlines do math on this? Do they sort of have an equation that they look at that say, we have these many people, we have this much space, you know, we know at what point we're going to, because I've had, we've talked about this before too, I've had them sort of call an audible and have people gate check at mm-hmm. a certain point. And I'm always wondered, is that because they saw something in the math that they were doing? You know, they had an equation, they sold out all the seats, and now all of a sudden the equation is tipped and they have to do a gate check.
3: I mean, yeah, I think they look at the number of people that were on there. Um, he kind of, you know, he talks about that in his piece, whether or not you should do that. Um, Because obviously, like I said, there's not enough space for everybody. Um, I'm of the mindset that if they're going to take it, they're going to take it anyway. I might as well try. You know, being nice to a flight attendant will always help. Um, But the reality is that seats have gotten smaller. They're trying to pack more people into planes. Fuel has gotten more expensive. So that's why they're charging for carry-ons. That's why they're charging you for for a lot of things.
1: And they also say that, well, one of the recommendations is to kind of put yourself in the right mindset. It's a little bit zen, but it's like... Control what you can control and accept what you can't. So you you look at the number of people in front of you. You look at how many open spots there are way in front of you and close up. And if you're getting on the plane and you see an open spot in the overhead bin, take it. Yeah. You I know, mean, my husband does, does that all the time. We may be in row thirty and we're taking a bag spot in row six. Yeah, we I just, mean
0: you're gonna go buy it on the way out. Right. It's not that hard. Sorry,
1: row six. I don't really care. You know, yeah, you don't need your like roly suitcase. Right. Although some people do and mm. some people are a little neurotic about keeping their stuff right close by. I like it where I can see it. Yeah, yeah.
0: And do you guys take? Um, you know, we've talked about this before too. And I know huge debate. Do you take soft or you know a hard shell carry on?
1: Ooh, I just switched to soft. Ooh, I know it was a big change. I highly recommend it.
0: Did I it. D- I did it too, and it's for well, I don't know what your reason was, but it was because I felt like I can squish it into more spaces.
1: No, I agree. I think it if i really had to shove it under the seat i probably could but it also forces me to pack a little less and i am a little bit i'm it's kind of a game i play with myself i'm like how much clothing do i really need to go for f- a week and sometimes it's a weekender bag but that's
0: yeah i yeah.
2: should uh, i should add while we're on the numbers thing i think another thing isn't just that the airlines are charging to check bags it's that they're charging for premium seats and to sit in different parts of the plane and get advanced boarding mm-hmm. i mean there are a lot of people who are sitting in first class. They get to board first. They get to put their stuff up first. And that's another way to sell those kinds of seats up seat upgrades.
0: When you buy the premium economy, do you you know, do you get extra bag space to go with no, it? No. no.
2: But if you get to get on the plane before
0: then you get to claim it.
2: Right. And that's what usually ends up happening is people are willing to pay. You may not even get that much more leg room. There may not be other amenities that you get. It may not be a significant difference in whether you get a meal or not. But if you can get on five minutes before the other people, your bag gets you a space. You claim the space.
0: Do you guys have, have you ever confronted somebody about yes. what was clearly? Absolutely.
2: <laughs> okay. I took yeah, a guy's no, coat out for him. Not a bunch of shy people here. <laughs> We're New Yorkers. Yeah. On a no, podcast. I took a guy's coat out for him and just handed it to him.
0: And what reaction did you get?
2: He was very confused.
1: Did he forget that was his coat or what?
2: No, I was like, this is your coat, right? And I kind of handed it to him, and he looked at me, and I said, the part where the flight attendant said that you're not supposed to put your coats in the overhead bin, what she meant was you're not supposed to put your coats in the overhead bin. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let me translate for you. See, I I feel like um, perhaps this is, you know.
2: And then we got to sit next to each other for the whole flight. He loved me. I'm sure.
0: And I, I feel like that would result, if I did a thing like that, this is a this is a global men-women kind of thing, perhaps. But I feel like fisticuffs are the sort of progression from that. Whereas if you do that, you know, it's probably not going there, although not entirely out of the question.
2: I mean, you can never rule it out.
0: You can never rule it out.
2: But I suspect that the flight attendant would have backed me up on that. Yeah. Because she was really frustrated and had said it, like, four times. So I think that, like, had that happened... I would have at least had somebody in my corner.
1: Yeah. I think you say anything with a smile. And I'm Southern, the same it. A tone. a Yeah, you, you're fine.
0: This is your coat, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was exactly like that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, just being polite always helps, right? Especially yeah. on an airline when people have short tempers.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, the spirit of Jaina, be nice. Be nice. Be nice. Okay, um, unless anybody else has burning Burning airline or travel news.
1: Nothing broke in the last hours. No, maybe design. we shouldn't I don't think say so. burning. We've
0: been, oh, elite, You had to take it there.
1: <laughs> you
2: took it there. I noticed it was there.
0: Uh okay. Visit us at cntraveler.com. We are also at Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. You can find this podcast, and I presume since you're listening to this podcast. Uh, that you have found it on iTunes or Pocket Casts or one of the other many locations, including SoundCloud, on which we post it. Um, let's go around the table. Tell everybody how they can find you, Laura.
1: I am Laura underscore Redmond on Instagram and Dannon825 on Twitter. Don't hate me. It's from like 15 years ago. <laughs> I'm
3: at KJ LeGrave on Twitter and Instagram.
2: Uh, and I am at Lilit Marcus, L-I-L-I-T-M-A-R-C-U-S, on Twitter, and Lilit Goes on Instagram.
0: And I am at Bradrick. Brett, where can they find you? you got to tell me, and I repeat it. Okay. Them. No one can find me anywhere. No he, one can find Brett. On, you cannot his his find agent. Brett <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Behind Leave the scenes always. Leave him alone. <laughs> and, <the shadows. laughs> and yet... He's great at what he does. Ladies,
2: he's spoken for. You can stop calling.
0: We're going to do a podcast on Brett's impending (laughs) nuptials at some point. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you. And thank you all for participating, Mm -hmm. people. Um, And we'll see you next week.